Good evening. Oh, is it cool in here? I'll take it. Uh, my name is Bill. For those of you who are, are uh, visiting or if you're online, my name is Bill, and it's really hot here. Uh, hope it's cooler where you are. We are continuing a series that I've been excited about from the beginning. Uh, we've been talking about what, what Jesus' half-brother James wrote to the early church. He was a seasoned leader. They had appointed him to lead the church actually in Jerusalem. That was the center of where the missionaries went out. Paul checked in. Peter checked in there. We're all part of what was going on. But he felt it was important at that time with everything that was going on was to write him a letter. And he, boy, did he get a flaming epistle in the air uh, to them. Just straightforward truth, cutting edge on the issues that they were dealing with to encourage them. And so we've looked at it uh, each week. I'm just going to read this quickly. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed. That's all the churches dispersed and the Jews that are out there. Uh, we've gone through several weeks that's there. Uh, we started out and uh, we're going to go back. Sure. I want to talk about this Lord Jesus Christ. We have we've read it every week. But I, I went back and I want to make sure we know what James was saying. James, a servant of God, and now catch this, they, the words mean something, the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in the very address that's going on, there's huge chunks of truth and theology about Jesus, who he was and, and, and how his half-brother saw him. First, he says, he, you know, he says, he's a servant that, James is a servant of God. And then he goes, to, okay, God's there. Now, now God, in, in each of these things, God is theos, the Greek word, infinite, eternal, being, with all power and knowledge. James is a servant of God. But, and also, he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look those words up. Now, we throw them around. When the uh, angels came, that's, that's what they were announcing. But let's make sure, because it adds some, some, some power to who Jesus is as we go on. First, he, he's the Lord. Kyrios is the word that's there. To the one who all things belong. The power of deciding. The master, the Lord. When you call someone Lord, he's the supreme ruler in that situation. So James, the younger brother, uh, says Jesus is Lord, control of all. And Jesus, and this is uh, Lord Jesus, Jesus is not just a name. It's a mission. It's the same word. I say this all the time, and I, I love this connection. the same word in the Old Testament for Joshua. And so, but what Jesus means is Jehovah is Shula, which means Jehovah, God is salvation. So Jesus comes as first, uh, he comes as Lord, ruler, and he comes as salvation. Uh, and Christ, the Christos, he comes, he's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies. Now, e each one of these titles uh, or descriptors or whatever you want to call it of Jesus Christ are important. Not only does it establish how James and the early church and every Christian 
from that day on has seen Jesus Christ. That's how we should relate to him. Very important, because today we're going to talk about just obeying him. The title is Just Do It. So as, as Lord, as, as Savior, and as the Messiah, we have ultimate power and authority. When he speaks, he speaks truth, but he speaks authoritative. When they finished the Sermon on the Mount, he gave that, and everyone was amazed at his teachings, but they said something else. He's one who speaks with authority. Because the Pharisees, the other religious leaders, everywhere else were just where they were quoting uh, information, writings, opinions of other people, and, and just reading scripture. When Jesus spoke, he spoke from a position of authority. He says, this is the way it is. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but back there, he was messing with the law. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, now you guys have all said, you know, you shall not murder. But I'm telling you, if you're angry in your heart with someone, you've murdered them. Now, that's, changed. that's authority stepping into a place and, and giving that to him. It's the same thing with adultery, same thing with offerings outside where people can watch you. Thing after thing, Jesus, particularly on the Sermon on the Mount, steps right in there, and he says, no, this, this is the new reality. This is what it really was, and now I'm, I'm fulfilling a lot of it, but this is what you're accountable for. So he spoke with authority. These, these words that we, uh, at the beginning, really important, because as we go through, we're going to be talking about his authority, his ability to command and direct in those things. So this is, this is how we started the series. This is the first part of it. And so as we do that, don't miss the authority that's taking place. Now, uh, James, when he was speaking, he spoke with authority too. He gave direct commands, directions, orders, uh, challenging ones. And so we've looked at them, and I'm just going to review them uh, quickly. This is the, you know, the start of the series. As we did that, we started with this, when you have a trial, I won't ask for a show of hands, because I don't have to. Everyone's got trials. Maybe even today, something happened. My computer crashed. Alan saved me again. Uh, of course, it happened to happen at four o'clock, uh, a little stress. But you see, I was Mr. Godly, and I considered it all joy when I encountered a crashing computer an hour before I was supposed to get on the stage. That's just the way I roll. <laughs> don't ask my wife how I did. <laughs> But that, but this, but again, the, the direct authoritative command is when you have stuff happen, and we all do, is consider it all joy, not for the trial, not for the broken computer, not for the problems, but for what hopefully it'll work in us later as, as God gets inside and changes our hearts and our attitudes. My, my verse is, comes out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's true. The computer was God's deal today. It's a bitter pill, but it's a true pill. And so, and that's, I don't know what trial comes to your mind that you're in or have been in recently, but consider it all joy. Uh, 
And this, it goes to the next one, it turns on this parismos, we do that. And the question I, we said there, when we get squeezed, do we come out with the sweet, savory grape juice, they call it wine, or do we just whine about it? I had a, I had a on again, off again experience today uh, as that happened. Now the next week, we, we continue to roll on, and we talked about wisdom. Where do we get our smarts? Where do we get our wisdom? Where do we get information when we want to decide what is right and what is wrong? Uh, James says, don't go to the world. Don't go on the internet. <laughs> Social media, any of that, don't go there. Just, he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach. He'll give it to him. But ask in faith. We gave the example that, that what God wants us to do with this red and blue pill that came from a movie is that if we want us to take and get a clear view of society and culture, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that uh, say any, they're just saying all sorts of stuff. But the point is when we look at that, get God's wisdom. Don't, don't listen to the world, the theory, and all that other stuff. Uh, it says if you do listen to the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's bold talk. That's a clear line. And oh, by the way, it's very true. And the more we go along, the more danger we put ourselves in by listening to the world. Okay. The, the next week after that, we went in, uh, after we went to wisdom, Brad got up and he told us what James says. Look in your heart. Look in the mirror. And allow God and let his word loose because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces from our excuses, our rationalizations, and our justifications of why we do or don't do things. It just cuts right in and tells us the truth in those things. Look, look at the perfect law and find out. And, and we'll, just, we'll just do this now and we'll do it later. The Bible, we'll see it in a minute, in a minute, uh, is inspired, which means it's breathed by God. It's inerrant. It has no errors. It is immutable, not capable, uh, or subject to change, and it's authoritative. Now, there's the word for this week. Authoritative. It has authority. When it speaks, it's just as Jesus spoke then, and the people were so amazed. It said, oh, but, you know, uh, he has authority. Well, he still does. And his word still does uh, as he speaks it. So, that, that brought us up to each one of those things. Last week, we talked about being impartial, not prejudiced, uh, accepting everyone. We said that the foot of the cross is level. Everyone is equal. Uh, personal preferences toward other people, giving, looking down on some people and exalting other people. That's all unacceptable for a very simple reason. They're all made in the image of God color, race, nationality, political affiliations, don't forget that. Uh, all of those things that are there, we're all equal. We should be impartial. God loves the world. He sent his son to the world. It's very inclusive for everyone. Pointed out, also very exclusive. In other words, this, this if, the primary article of conditionality, See, I got to say it again this week. I'm going to use that every week. I love that word. So if you guys want to write me an email or something and use that word in it, I'd be pleased to read it. Uh, but that's this, if Jesus says, I'm the way, 
I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Again, authoritative, clear truth from the Lord, from the Messiah, and from the Savior at the same time. Speaking to us, telling us who he is. It's, 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 it's for everyone. But there's a way we have to choose. So it's exclusive and inclusive as we do that. Uh, so as we do that, we, we, we're going we're to change up now. We're going to get to another truth that isn't sugar-coated, that, that just comes at it. James uh, does it again. He says that God demands first-time obedience. Interesting concept. I, I think we've lived in the United States, depending on your age. It used to be a huge Christian parenting principle in a program, uh, many programs that went through the church. Uh, but raising kids God's way was probably the most famous. First-time obedience. What's the expectation? When you tell your children something to do or not to do, they say, yes, Mom, yes, Dad, depending on how you train them, that you can have a verbal response. Some people have it. Some people have to make eye contact. There's a bunch of rules that went around it. But the point is, when a parent tells a child to do something, it is, the, this is going to sound really, it is the job of the parent to train them. Culture for thousands of, well, thousands of years, since from the beginning, parents have been charged with teaching their children respect for authority and obedience. They, and again, only in our culture, as far as I know, have we ever gotten to the place where we have child-centered homes. It is not parent authority, it's the kids. So many homes, the, the emotional atmosphere is defined by how they feel. They can come into, and most of you, if you've raised teenagers, or, or they'll walk into the room and they're a rain cloud. What they're doing is they're going to control the mood of the whole room. So you lovingly say, get out. No. <laughs> oh, you say it nicer. But what you say is that attitude is not mature. Go to your room until you can come out as an adult. That's first time we'll be. And, and by the way, you know, I'm so far behind. Let me give you an example. My, my oldest daughter was a strong-willed child. She got it from her mother. And, <laughs> who's not here to defend herself. But uh, we had a TV set, and they weren't allowed to touch it. So she walks by one day, looks at me, sitting in my chair, looks at the TV, pushes it on, looks back at me. Line, sand, picture. So I, I lovingly get up and I say, no, slap her hand. I go sit down again. She looks at me, she looks at the TV, Turns, no, a little harder slappy poo on the hand. This was three times. And then eventually, she, the third time after I slapped her hand, with more authority each time, she looked at me, looked at the TV, 
and walked on. If I hadn't won that or some similar battles, there would be no authority in the house. The kids would rule the house. Now, why? Why would kids do that? Kids are wonderful little creatures. But everyone that knows kids, they're sinners. They're prideful. They want control. And if any crack or way to get it, they will. They're sinners. And so the, if the parent's job is to train them for first-time obedience. Today, we're talking about God training us for first-time obedience. It's not a discussion. It's not a, uh, well, uh, Oprah said. Uh, it's, it's, this is what God says. And so that's what we're talking about today. Now, uh, James lays it on. It's a very straightforward thing. And he makes a comparison about be between believing and faith and following. And he uses the demons. Uh, you see, he gives a verse. It says, you believe in God. You believe God is one. You're doing great. Even demons believe that and shudder. Now, uh, you know, over 40 years of meeting with people and counseling and things like that, one of the first things I try and do is gauge. I, I may listen to a little bit of the problem, but I want to know where they are with God. Because everything that flows is going to be decided by where their relationship is with God. So uh, one, of my, one of the common questions is, you know, uh, if you were to die today, would God let you into heaven and why? And almost, I can just, almost first words, I believe in God. Okay. And I do memorial services. And uh, I poke around looking for the religious, uh, did, where were they with God? And the common phrase is, they believed in God. My response in a counseling situation is loving, is tender, is responsive, cutting slack. I said the demons believe that. Because that's what this verse says. People wonder why I get first dates in counseling. I just get, it's shocking to me. Uh, you believe that, you know, that God is one? The demons believe that, and then they shudder. Uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works? In other words, believing without action doesn't get it. He goes on to say, uh, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. In other words, if I say I'm a follower of Christ, and I know what God tells me to do in a situation, and I don't do it, well, my, my profession of love is a lie. Any more than a husband can cannot do everything he can to serve and support his wife and vice versa. That it, that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, their wish is our command. Uh, so, and then whoever keeps the whole law, James, is brutal. Whoever keeps the whole law and fails in one point becomes guilty of it all. We'll see Jesus in a while in his authoritative position saying, if you want to follow me, give up your life. If you try to hang on to one area, and that's what this verse is saying, if you follow the whole law except for that, then you're guilty of it all. You see, there's... People want to... Uh, 
uh, talk about degrees of sin, you know, more, you know, there's different, some people try and put titles on it. Sin's sin, guys. One sin, one sin separates us from heaven. Why is that? Willful, will, excuse me, back. One willful, ongoing, continuous sin that we choose to say no to God in an area will separate us from him. He's no longer Lord. And then the question is, where does the Savior stop? Because if we sin willfully after coming to the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It's like trampling underfoot, listen, the Son of God, and regarding his blood as unclean. That's, that's stuff. So uh, he's pushing for first-time obedience. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. Now, there's, there's, there's some things here worth, worth looking at for just a second. There's sins and rebellion of commission. You know you're not supposed to do it, and you do it. That's a sin of commission that we know what the rule is. We're just going to go ahead and break it. There's a sin of omission. There are things that we are, we know we're supposed to do, and we choose not to do them. Omission sins are the ones that are, uh, they're just insidious. Now, what are some things we know we're supposed to do? Read our Bible. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to do anything. But we're commanded to abide in Christ and abide. Abide meaning connect, read. Uh, multiple verses we can go through. And uh, Brad mentioned a couple of them with, the, with how we use the word to clean up our life. That's that, to not do that, that's a sin of omission. Tithing, serving, uh, where God leads, being open to it. I'm not saying you have to serve. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But you have to be open and willing to do it. You can't say, oh, that's not me. I'm not doing that. So this, this going to church, whatever it may be, is not an option. So this is the demons believe Christians' faith obeys. We say, yes, Lord. Now, there's other places where first-time obedience is huge. Where, where I learned it really was in my home growing up because there was no question there. Uh, but I met a funny-looking guy called a drill instructor. Do you know he didn't want to negotiate? He didn't want to talk about what I wanted or what my feelings were at the moment. He, it's first-time obedience. Same thing, parenting, Marine Corps, reality is looking for. So what does this mean where... We're talking about, why will I let you go to heaven? So that's, that's where the question comes in. Did you believe in God? When Jesus came, now, he, here's the thing. The demons knew who Jesus was. Uh, demons, when they saw him coming, they announced who he was to the people that were around him. Uh, when this one guy saw Jesus, he cried out. This is the guy in the tombs, fell down before him with a loud voice. What do we have to do with you, Jesus? Listen to this. Uh, Jesus, son of the most high God, uh, I beg you, don't torment me. This was the, the guy, uh, the demon, demon guy with a thousand, and they threw all the uh, demons into the pigs that were there. 
He knew exactly who Jesus was. Another time in Capernaum, he goes in, there's a man with an unclean spirit, cried out, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? I love this one. Seven sons of Sceva. Back in the day, demons were recognized as real, and not only did Christians cast them out, but other people did also. Uh, but there was a guy, that's, a guy named Sceva who had seven sons. And so the seven sons were going about the business of casting out demons. I love this story. So they find a guy that's got a demon, and they cast it out. Well, they try to cast it out. The demon speaks again now. now he, and he said, I cast you out in the name of Paul and of Jesus. The demons, who know everything that's going on, much smarter than we give them credit for, turns around and says, well, I know who Paul is, and I certainly know who Jesus is. Well, who are you? And the demon-possessed man jumps up and beats up the seven men, and they flee the house naked going out. The demon spiritual world knows exactly who Jesus is. They're not the question. And their response to Jesus is, no, thank you. They rebelled against God in heaven. They're given over to rebellion. There's not a point of repentance for them. So they move in the way their father, the devil, moves in lies, deceptions, and deceiving other people. So demons believe. No problem there. Uh, so uh, that's, that's where we go. So when I start to talk to people, I want to find out where they are with God. How much do they believe? And one of the best ways to do that, and do this when you get a chance. I, I get the thing and I go, I often have told them a little bit of my story, how it pertains, but then I'll just say, well, tell me your story. Tell, tell me how you came to know Christ. Golly, it's interesting. So how those, those come about. And, 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 and am I judging? Yeah. Am I judging with evil motives? No. Because if they're, if they're wrestling with an issue, whatever it may be, marriage issues, uh, drugs, alcohol, pornography, the whole gamut, money, debt, uh, the whole thing, you can't deal with that until you deal with Jesus. Yeah. When I was an alcoholic, Someone could have come up and said, stop drinking. Oh, duh. You know, I had to know Jesus Christ to be set free. Until we know Christ, we're slaves of the devil. We walk according to the prince of the power of the air. So this, this very important path to heaven that we want to talk about is first and foremost is to get Jesus in the right place and, and get our story correct so that we do know him. And that's going to be one of the takeaways today. How do we do that? So I want to talk about a system that we've taught for 30, 40 years here. Uh, it's a system which I feel accurately, let me change that. It is a system of many systems that will allow a person to grow, to mature, to put on Christ, to take off old behaviors by applying biblical principles and biblical truth to their lives. So there's uh, multiple. This is one that we've used, but it is based on the scripture. Uh, each of the approaches, the ideas, and everything that's put in there, it's breathed by God. It is suitable. Oh, look, for, 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And that's exactly what we're talking about. That's obeying God. So the scripture promises to be able to do that for us. So how do we, how do we start to unpack this? Uh, a couple of things that we do, and I, I suggest some of the tools that we have. We have uh, a facts of life, which we're going to be talking about quite a bit, handout in the back. Uh, evidence of salvation, have that in the back to examine ourselves. Uh, we've got Tozer and books to read. Because Tozer's book, by the way, just take a side note. Tozer himself was one that spoke out against the cultural easy believerism is what he talked about back in the 50s. Because he looked around churches and he saw that many of the churches were filled with people who claimed to be Christ followers, but who weren't. And so much of his writing is very direct and straightforward. The cross, the radical cross, is very much along that vein. If you haven't read it, really encourage it. But, but here's, where, here's where we start. There's the facts of life. How do we, how do we know the facts of life? What's the truth? We, we heard in the second week, the third week, that if you want wisdom, don't go to the world. Go to God. And so uh, in some of our handouts, facts. And this is my train that I think lays, lays out uh, what I'm going to be talking about today. Facts, faith, follow, feelings. Fact. So if I'm going to build my life on something, God made you and me rational beings we should be able to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it in each of these things. So when I, you know my story, I came to Christ by researching the facts of, of, of a prophecy. And other people will do it in sunsets or different areas the way they do it. But there's got to be some facts to build your life on. You may be part of a, seeing miracles take place in your life or in other people's lives, and, and there's no explanation. But facts... First fact, there's an infinitely, infinite, holy, personal God who created everything. Here he is. He was absolutely sovereignly in control over creation. He ordains everything. That's the first fact. Everyone that wants to be a Christ follower has to acknowledge or is a Christ follower. And it's a daily, by the way, you update your resume. Because it's easy. Uh, facts leak. I renew, I have four evidence books. I'm, a, I'm really a slow, brain-dead guy. So I read them every day. Read them all multiple times. But there's, there's facts. Uh, infinite holy God. The Bible is the immutable word of God. If you have questions about that, stop. Solve that problem. If your God, if you feel that your God is not able to give you an accurate translation of your Bible and his word, Trade up. Research the Bible. See how, how and why we can believe it. Look at the evidence. I, could, I do this too often, but there's 66 books, 40 authors, uh, written on three continents, three languages, over 1,500 years, one of the most controversial subjects ever written, and they're in total unity. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. So the Bible is God's word. Jesus Christ is the only way. For our sins to be atoned for? That's the question. Why is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to heaven? 
Heaven is holy. God is holy. We can't walk in the heaven with sin. It has to be removed from us, and the only ability to uh, pay for sin, remove sin, is Christ's death on the cross, his blood. Uh, that's the fact. He's the only way. Fact, uh, we can have a real personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And again, those little magic words keep popping up, Lord, Savior, uh, Jesus. So, and this is very important. All of those facts, do we believe that God will do for us what the Bible says he'll do. That's a huge deal. Impacts every area of our life. Uh, I, I don't know of a Christian that once in a while isn't rocked back on their heels. Something happens. But we've got to come back to the foundational facts of who Jesus is, who God is, and that his plan is still perfect for us. So this, these are the facts. So the first, the first engine that pulls all this is are facts, objective evidence, Bible facts, scientific facts, mathematical facts, historical facts, archaeological, psychological facts, all of the things. There's facts, there's evidence there. For me, it was prophecy. God says, I'm going to tell you the future. Only a God can do that. And God, our God, is the only God or religious system that can accurately tell the future. Uh, set forth your case. Uh, Bring your proofs. He tells all the other false gods, you know, the Muslims, the Mormons, the Buddhists, the, all of them. He says, tell me what's going to happen, and we'll know you're God. No one stepped up to the plate. Uh, successfully. Let me change that. Successfully. Uh, so prophecy is, was, was what brought me into it. Other things that can do it. Uh, you, you want proof, God's provision. Uh, if you're an honest seeker, warning Seek diligently. Seek diligently in this. So, and, and proof of God's love, which is huge underpinning of everything that we do. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it again. God so demonstrated his love by sending Christ. There's no other explanation other than all the evidence is that Jesus was a supernatural being moving among us, doing miracles, Amazing things, feeding, creating, calming storms, uh, raising other people from the dead. Then ultimately, in his after his crucifixion, he was raised from the dead. He was a living Savior. This is, this is evidence beyond anything. Uh, he so loved the world that he sends Jesus. Christ demonstrates his love while we were sinners. When we were dead, Christ dies for us. This brings about, now again, I, this word, how do you appropriate this word into or bring it into our life rarely used i use it all the time because it changed my life the word and i just talked to someone yesterday the word repentance we were talking back and forth and uh i said what does that mean he says to change your mind to go in another different direction absolutely true that's not as important as why we do it in, in, in your mind, when, when someone was to ask you, or I ask you now, why do you repent? Why do we turn from certain ways? It, the, the definition goes on, 
because we have to heartily amend our old ways. We heartily amend to turn away from because of an abhorrence, a disgust for past and present sins. You know, I almost want to, I want to, I almost want to one of those, okay now class, why do we do that? Well, why we do that is because Christ pays for our sins, our sins of omission and our sins of commission. Big ones, little ones. He pays for them all. That's the promise that he gives us. So this is why sin in a Christian is an abhorrence for what it does to Christ. Now, warning, if, if you're just looking into these things, and uh, I, I tell people this, because it was my story, I made a couple of phony passes at Christianity early on in my life, uh, but I wasn't diligent, and Satan ate me for breakfast. I showed a little interest. He stomped me. Life came on. Things happened. Uh, conflict came around. Whatever it was, because if you want to seek and follow Christ and you want to get on this relationship, uh, those who love me and those who, will, who seek me diligently. This is seeking Christ in every day. As Christians, we should seek him diligently. If we seek him, we'll find when we seek with all of our heart. In our world today, the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ is so veiled, we probably talk about it too much in our culture. It's, it, it's hard to see it. It's hard to express it. But if, you, if you're here and you want help on a journey of seeking, please come talk to us. Please. That's why we're here. So uh, the next one, and in our culture today, Facts have been replaced by personal truth. We talk about this, and I talk about the causes of values clarification in classroom training, cultural indoctrination that takes place in those things. Uh, the, tru the, the, the truth is, uh, we start to follow our feelings. We start, we, we remove that from our culture today. And so we follow our feelings. Okay, now that's, Facts. Next one is faith. Where does, where does faith fill? It's a bridge between what we believe. Oh, here's the one with the facts in the ditch. We just, we don't worry about facts. We, don't we, we got new math. We got new morality. We got new, we can't, right, way we write, everything's new. So this is that one Satan tells a serpent, and he tells every one of us, has told, is telling and will tell us did god really say that did he really tell you not to do that no 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 you you know you can have your own wisdom you can have make your own decisions you can continue with doing what you want to do that's what adam and eve did and actually that's what all of us do uh before we come to know christ uh that's, that, that's, that's a good warning. Okay, the next one. Now, faith. We talked about facts. Facts are just facts. Faith focuses our attention and acceptance on those facts. Faith, it, it's, it says, is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the evidence of things not seen. Faith looks at the facts, and that's exactly what, what the verse says. It's the assurance. This, this word assurance is a hoopostasis. I say it all the time because I love to say it. Hoopo is underneath stasis, is, is, a, is, a, is a pillar, is a support. It's like under a mobile home, you got pillars under house, some houses you have. But that's, that faith has got the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, which is the word for evidence, not seen. They received uh, commendations for it. And, it. and it goes on, the first thing, first thing of faith, based on evidence and facts, is that God created the world. The current lie of evolution is a lie just from the pit of hell. Good evidence, good proof. Anyone wants that? I've got books and books on that uh, to be able to do it. So it's, it's there. If you don't have faith, if you don't believe God, if you're questioning his word, uh, then, then that endangers it. So you have facts, you have faith in those because faith has to have an object. The, de well, the demons have an object, it's Satan. When, when, and when we don't follow God, and he's not our object, Satan's the default position on that. So facts, faith, now follow. This is the whole thing for today. Are we following what our faith is based on our facts? You know, you got facts. Faith says they're true. I have faith to the point of works, because if faith without works is dead, uh, is this, is, this comes back again to, to James is what we're talking about today. If you want to come after me, Jesus says, well, you, you got to follow me. You got to follow him. And, and notice the criteria. It's not a uh, half in, lukewarm. You, you throw into the pot, you know, the hokey pokey put in, take out kind of a dance. It's all or nothing. He says, if you try and hold back one area, and, and I don't know what your area is. I, mine was drinking and partying and all that other stuff. And so I read the Bible so carefully. I underlined everything in that New Testament that I stole that had to do with drinking so I could justify my drinking. Then I became a Christian. I said, that's stupid. Uh, but this, this take up our cross, that's everything goes there. Why do we call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells us? Uh, this, therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word that will save your souls. Be doers, this is again back to James, be doers of the word, uh, not hearers who deceive themselves. Uh, so follow. And that, by the way, that is not only following sins of commission, but of omission. One of the one of the most inspiring things that Jesus, when you study his life, he had several times, he got up and he prayed all night to his father. And he got up the next day and served all day long. His priority was to have that time with his father, to abide in his father. The last thing, feelings. Uh, feelings. What do we do with, you know, uh, Feelings. Feelings come. You know, I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. Everything that people are looking for in the world and going to uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, social pundits, all these other people that reading books, everything. They're looking for a feeling. 
They're looking for an emotion to be resonant in them. And that's okay. Unless you start with the feeling first. Because they will give you, you will find something that will give you a feeling uh, or blot out the negative feeling that's inside of our lives. Uh, Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation in the world. But you can have peace in me. Jesus uh, turns around and he, he says, what comes out of, uh, out of the heart defines that person. It defiles it. It's the heart of evil thoughts, murders. And these things, these are, these, a lot of these things are feelings, this anger that's in there, murder, anger, adultery, sexual immorality, all these things, slander. Oh, oh, I like this, by the way, slander. I don't know if anyone else does this. I, I may be the only sicko, and I know I'm not. But how many times have you prepared to have that conversation with that person so that you can stun them with your wisdom and bring, bring them into the place where they're supposed to be? That's in, that comes inside and it comes out. Jesus says, come unto me if you're weary, you're heavy laden. Life is just tearing you up. Now, that works. That works. There, are, there have been multiple times, and I know there will be multiple times in the, in the near future. We're not talking down the road. Because stuff in life happens. We're to stop early morning, stop the chaos, stop everything, and just, or take a moment out and just go, Lord, Please, you know, your peace. Learn from, take his teaching, his instruction upon, and have peace. So, but go, we don't start with looking for the feelings. We start with Jesus Christ. We start with the facts of Christ. We start, if we have faith in those facts, we follow them. Because if we are not following the facts and we're living in willful sin, we should not have good feelings. If you're having good feelings and you're living in sin, there's a problem. So now we're back. All of this is to say there's, there's, a, there's a bigger story. We're changed by facts and faith and facts and following. But ultimately, we're changed by love. I want to be who Christ wants me to be. I want to do what Christ wants me to do. Am I Perfect at it? Absolutely not. But because God so loved me, he sends Christ. While I was still sinners, Christ dies for me. When I was dead, here it is, my sins were nailed to the cross. I, I encourage us to visualize that someday in, in a way that we know that there was a plaque on Jesus' cross. And there was. It was a physical plaque there for what his crimes were. He was claiming to be the king of Israel. So they put it in four languages. Everyone can read it. But there was something else nailed to that cross. My sins. Individually and personally, so were yours. And we're promised that he paid for them. This is, this is up close personal with us in Christ. This, this verse out of the, the you know, second Colossians, just powerful to me. That's the awareness of that, not only historically, but daily, is huge. Now, my goal, and this is where it gets 
funny and, and kinky at the same time, is the truth is we can't do what we want to do. We, we can't do what Jesus did. We can't live Jesus' life because we are sinners. We still, as much as I love God, I have a fallen nature. As, as much as I never want to get angry, I will. I, all of these things is just a reality we live in. So how can we live the promises of God? Well, we can't. Jesus can. That's the secret of being, and this is what everyone fights in the age of high self-esteem, self-awareness, live your best life now, be in control of your life, take control of your life. Jesus says, if you want me, if you want to complete these things, be crucified for me, out of love for me. Out of love for me. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, whoa. Did you catch it? Christ lives in me. When I complete and carry out a desire of Christ that, that requires my flesh to be crucified, Jesus is living through me. Not me. His nature, his spirit, his heart, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Where do we think we get love, joy, peace, patience? The kindness of, of God in the Holy Spirit in our life they're put in there for us as we do that. So this, this ability to be able to follow Christ and let him do it, don't miss the point. Humanly speaking, we cannot live unselfish, humble lives 100%. We're going to fail. When we succeed, by the way, it's not us. It's Jesus, and, and the leading and the usefulness that we get of areas of our life, crucifying him to Christ so that he can live in them, turning them over to him, that's how we grow. You know, and the Apostle Paul, we talk about this all the time, most Christians are, are a little squirmish. When I stand and I see one of my favorite verses and I, I identify myself as someone who wants to do what is right, I never want to do what is wrong. But I end up with a mantra. Those of you, I'm, I'm not uh, advocating mantras out of Hinduism. How about a mantra out of the Apostle Paul? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? You see, Paul was aware of his sin. I'm aware of my sin. Who will set me free? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He sets us free. He sets us free to the context of we're no longer controlled by Satan, but he now lives in us. So what does this have to do? What is, what's the hope? What's the promise that's going to take place? Well, that's up to us. First thing I, I want to challenge everyone with, and one of the main points tonight, is this obedience to Christ is a non-optional deal. In, in our culture, it's become that way. We use the numbers that I use all the time. 67% of the people believe they're biblical Christians, only 3% are. So I'm encouraging you, we provided all the material that, where you can examine yourself. There's a great verse that tells us how to do this. It says, for God is at work in you to will and to work his good pleasure. 
Examine yourself to see if you're, test yourself to see if you're from God. This is, by the way, two times we're commanded to do it. And also, every time we take communion, we're supposed to examine ourselves to see if we're in the right place. Are we sinning? Willfully, not willfully? What, omission, commission, any of them. You, you, all, you know, this is the, this last verse gives the key. Therefore, as you always obey, this is Paul, Philippians 3. Uh, it, it tells you to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work at it. But here's the promise. For God is at work in you to will and to work is good pleasure. God is at work in each follower of Christ to will, to make, give us a desire to do what he wants us to do. And then he works it out for us because he's in us. This is the promise that's there. Always obeyed. So the, the thing, we, we, we have an evidence. We have a fact sheet. We have an evidence sheet. There's 10 things that I think are rational expectations if Christ lives in us. We should have a growing desire and accomplishment of loving God more. We should have an ability or see loving other people more. We should be able to, to go strive to obey God's commandments, a desire to connect with God, prayer, awareness of sin, growing awareness of sin. Know we're secure and going to heaven. These are, uh, there's a sheet on those back there, or it's on our website. Go through them. It, it's, and it's a good reminder. Christian, non-Christian, struggling, not struggling. It's affirmation or excitement about where we're supposed to go. Now, examine ourselves to see where we are. What's the, the direct thing to, we put in every bulletin? A Crossroads Connection card. Become part of the family. That's kind of cute. Uh, and there's a lot of questions to help people get involved. There's Bible studies. There's all sorts of things to help us grow uh, in things that we know we should do. Don't do any of these. Don't do it. If you are not doing these things before you make a commitment to do them, find out why you're not doing them. It's, it's a love issue, guys. People tell me, I don't have time to read the Bible. It's a love issue. I can't afford to, to give any money to the church or serve in the church or do this. All the things we know we're supposed to do or not do. And so don't do anything, please, until you figure out why you're not doing them. Every time a husband and a wife come in, they've got an issue going on, find out where they are with Christ. And then every issue is a love issue. Every issue is a love issue. It's humility and service to the other person, just as Christ did for us. So, uh, stuff. Lovingly obey the one who died for us. Be transformed into his image by letting him have more and more control. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we uh, we're amazed that you would sacrifice your life for us and then and they come and live in us that we might live like you and show you to the world around us. Lord, what an awesome plan. Thank you for the grace, mercy, forgiveness, and power that you pour out to us. For those who are seeking, for those who need information, 
Lord, thank you that you will open doors of information. You will give them the opportunity. As they seek diligently, they will find. Thank you that if we can help in any way that you'll put us in the game. Amen. Amen.